I said a bit earlier on that Peter Lewis cracked into his uh, uh, in- inaugural... Um, auction programme at 10 at 5 past 8 this morning. It's our 2020 Operation Santa Claus online auction. It's going great guns. Links are up on our Morning Brew page and I'm going to catch up with Peter at 12 to give you a really good reminder and tell you what's happening. But right now, if you can, join us on Facebook Live because it's time to say hello to Steve Vines for his pre-Christmas pre director's commentary. How are you? Well, hello. Hello. <laughs> Yes, what's cooking? I think we've got some quite practical stuff to talk about today, I think, and it involves businesses, really, doesn't it? Yeah, well, according to Carrie Lamb, Ted Hoy, who has now uh, fled to Britain to escape arrest, the former LegCo member, has single-handedly brought down the Hong Kong banking system. You see, there is an argument that, that the Hong Kong banking system is undermined by this arbitrary seizure And I say arbitrary because this is done without legal proceedings, arbitrary seizure of assets. So in his case, it just happens. There was it. Well, the police leaned on the banks and they froze his assets, those of his family, those of his parents. Mm -hmm. We've just seen a church um, which is involved, uh, which is heavily involved with, with, with helping out homeless people and also with the protest movement having its assets frozen. We saw the Spark Alliance that have been raising money for the um, protest movement, having its assets frozen. Now, the point about all of this is, and I can see people sitting at home saying, well, you know, I've got nothing to worry about if, you know, I don't do any of these things, you know, I don't flee to London, I don't get involved with the protest movement, etc., etc. Can I just say, it doesn't work like that. It's like pregnancy. You either are or you aren't pregnant. There's no such thing as semi-pregnancy. Even I know that, and I'm not a gynecologist. So with, in the case of banks, yeah. if it is not an absolutely guaranteed fact that the money that you put in the bank is safe and accessible, yeah. the keyword being accessible, then people are going to say, well, I really trust the banking system to look after my hard-earned cash. Now, Carrie Lamb can shout and scream about how it's all Ted Hoy's fault. He's bringing down the banking system by criticizing it. The fact of the matter is, sensible people will say, you know what, there is a very big problem here when you can freeze assets in a bank account without going through a court of law. I tell you what hit me, Steve, straight away. I mean, we all know the story about Ted. We know what's been happening there from reading the papers and stuff. but. Purely from a PR point of view, when you hear the words in a news story, uh, accounts, frozen, church, pastor, now, whatever, those words are going to get people going. Exactly. I mean, um, you, you, you know, they, 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 it is true that, that people are being charged with fraudulent activity. And remember, the word is charge. Sure. Um, we still have this, this bizarre system in Hong Kong where you're innocent until proven guilty. And in all of these cases, including that, incidentally, of Jimmy Lai, these people must be presumed to be innocent until they're proved guilty. And when you have a system that assumes guilt before innocence or guilt is proved, you have a system that's broken. And this has enormous consequences for the credibility of the banking system in Hong Kong. As I say, anybody who's deluded enough to believe that somehow... You know, it's all going to be all right because I'm not involved. I don't get involved. 
you, you, you know, just don't know. History is not on your side. Yeah. History is not on your side. When you remove the foundations of a building, the whole building trembles. Whether or not the people on the top floor have done anything which causes the removal of the foundation struts. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's fine for people like um, um, the deputy mayor, Carrie Lamb, to stand up and say, well, I blame all this on Ted Hoy. You know, that isn't going to wash. It's also not going to wash for her to trot along. She, she, she goes out, you know. People don't know her. She goes out. She's just been at a conference where she said, there's never been a better time to invest in Hong Kong than now. Draw your own conclusions from that. Don't know what you've been following, Steve. I don't know what your research has been, etc. But uh, do you think the dominoes have started to fall just with Hong Kongers and their dough? Nothing special, just families, people. Well, you you know that old thing from the from the Washington Post. You know the the the, the, the uh, deep throat during the um, yeah investigations into Nixon's um, dubious doings in the White House. Yeah. The famous thing that, 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 that Deep Throat said to the two investigators, Woodward and Bernstein, was follow the money. Yeah. Follow the money in Hong Kong. If you think that everything is well, why is it that 200,000 people have um, applied for British passports since November? Why is it, anecdotally, but also we will see the numbers trundling out in the near future, so many people are moving assets and themselves overseas. Follow the money, because at the end of the day, people's confidence is determined not by what they say, but by what they do. Mm. Now, it is quite true that a lot of people are moving assets overseas, are doing so out of caution, and because they're not sure, doesn't mean they're necessarily leaving, it doesn't mean they're shutting down their businesses in Hong Kong yeah. and what have you. But, you know, in a society where it's business as usual, people do not move their assets outside of the jurisdiction. Is your, your feeling is, in that case, that they, they really do seem to be. I mean, there's lots of chit-chat. We all talk. People are worried. Yeah. Hey, I want to go to a message, if I may. This is from our mate Alvin. He's back. He says that particular bank already decided to focus its business more on the mainland. He said it's likely they will phase out international business. Dangerous times. Again, he hasn't got a crystal ball, but what do you reckon? It's dangerous times. It, it's dangerous times. I mean, frankly, I don't sit in my uh, uh, in my um, bunker here <laughs> worrying all day about what happens to the banks. I worry much more about what happens to people well, yeah, of that's, Hong Kong. That's, yeah. But it is a fact, but it is a fact that banks are getting to be caught in the, in the hammer and the anvil of the political system. HSBC, which um, it denies any involvement in politics, but, you know, it plays the game along with the rest of them, has moved its corporate headquarters out of Hong Kong into London. OK, now that could be interesting. Yet, well, I mean, that, that's a done deal. But mm. yet, you know, it generates the bulk of its, product, of its profits from this part of the world. And it's under enormous pressure from both sides. It's under pressure here from the police and the authorities to sign up to statements supporting the national security law, to freeze people's bank accounts. And in London, which is now its corporate headquarters, you've got members of parliament saying, this HSBC, you know, 
poor. We've got to be a bit careful with them. They're, 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 they're doing bad things. And in the middle, they're going, oh, we don't, we don't comment on individual cases. You think of the immense history this bank has had with Hong Kong and the people of Hong Kong pre-handover, way pre-handover, before they changed their name to HSBC. I mean, somebody said it sort of a bit wryly the other day, Bank of China is soon going to become BOC, you watch. <laughs> well, hey, I mean, you know, the, 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 let's give it its, its original name, the Hong Kong and Shanghai Banking Corporation yeah. is indelibly tied up with there the history of Hong tons Kong. Tons of history, yes. Not only is it a notice you, so, you know, when you go to your local shop, you're more than likely to take out a note that has HSBC um, stamped on the cover. It has been the biggest bank in Hong Kong. It probably is no longer, in, t in retail terms, it probably is no longer the biggest bank in Hong Kong. And, you know, it has provided members of the executive council in the past. It's been up to its very neck in Hong Kong politics mm. ever since the colony was founded in 1841. And today, of course, it's in the out crowd as far as intimate um, association with, with the government is concerned. Mm. But, you know, it is a player. It, it, this is inescapable. Well, let's go back to the main thing of this morning, which is it's customers. Any business needs customers. And all of a sudden, we woke up to the news the other day that this fellow's and his family's, that's particularly what people jumped on, assets have been frozen. The, the yes. customer, the punter. What do you reckon? So, so, you know, if you are worried about that, I assume that people who are worried about that will take the appropriate action. They've done something already, I'm sure. Moving banks, incidentally, is, is a major nightmare, as anybody who's tried to do it um, would know. I've tried to do it. It wasn't easy, but, you know, at the end of the day, if you're sufficiently worried about the security of your life savings, which is what we're talking about, I think people are going to say, I've got to do something about this. This is this is important stuff. Tell you what, I want to turn back the clock a few months. Somebody who's in the business who I really respect, they said to me, ah, oh, it's just the big squillion dollar people, etc. Don't worry about, you know, us living in Hong Kong. Can I tell him he was wrong? I mean, jokingly. Yeah. I think, I, I mean, honestly, you know, it's that sort of complacency, that sort of ignorance of history, which is extremely damaging. And I, I think that people who are going around saying nothing to worry about here, nothing to worry about here. We're all right. It's only those crazed radicals who need to worry. They know nothing. Honestly, they know nothing about history. I think what the person I was talking to, I think he genuinely meant it like a mere four months ago. That's my point. He, yeah. was, he wasn't well, trying to say let did. them eat cake by any means. But actually, but, but the point is, Phil, people are still saying it now. Oh, well, even I, after. Yeah. yeah, even after all this is going on. So... I would say to them, two words, shut up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, it's 20, 24 minutes past 10. Steve's with me until about quarter two. Um, the bank thing, I don't know if you want to say any more words to wrap that up, but something that's really hitting people hard and fast is the new COVID restrictions. And once again, the restaurant, the F&B industry is saying, what have we done? We've played rules. We've played by the book. So now it's been officially decreed that COVID only spreads after 6 p.m. Previously, it only spread after 10 p.m. Yeah. What is the consequence of this? There seems to be a war going on between the government and the food and beverage industry. You know, according to industry sources, this is a staggering figure. Yeah. 
2,000 restaurants closed last month. Another thousand are expected to close this month. Unemployment, I'm just looking at the, my notes here, unemployment in the restaurant sector, the food and beverage sector, is supposed to be standing at 14.8%. Right. I tell you, that is complete and utter nonsense because it doesn't account for the very high number of part-timers who are employed in that industry. I mean, 14.8% incident is a scary enough figure, Full but it's just people. not. Yeah. If you're one of them, it's a particularly scary figure, but it's just not true. It's much higher than that. Have a guess. And of course, it doesn't take account of the people who are still employed have had to take furloughs or whatever you want, whatever euphemism you, you want to use for being laid off yeah. temporarily or whatever, who've had to take pay cuts, who are, uh, who are forgiving, uh, who are foregoing this, that and the other. So, you know, the human personal cost of people employed in the industry, let alone the people who run all these restaurants and bars, is enormous. I've had an idea here, Steve, because he does run a few. That's your other gig. Now, just give us a little bit of a lesson on the hierarchy and the, the structure, if you like, of how a restaurant is, is run, because you mentioned freelancers before. Now, how, how would all that pan out? Is it piecemeal labour? Is it cheap labour? What's the deal? Well, some of it is, is to be crude, is cheap labour. I don't yeah. think there's, well, a, there's, yeah, a, there's a, nice, a nice way of dressing it up. But, you know, it, it's a business that, that has peaks and troughs in its working day. Right. A lot of businesses do, but particularly this business. So that if, for example, you are a mother at home with small children mm -hmm. and you need income, but you really can't afford not to be there when the kids come back from school or what have you, you will work the peak hours perhaps during a lunchtime shift or you will go out and work a peak evening shift. In other words you will fit in your work around your family responsibilities. And there are literally tens of thousands, I think probably hundreds of thousands, particularly women who do that. Then you have um, the people in another industry, which I know particularly well, which is function catering, mm. where, you know, you people on a freelance basis go to gigs and act as waiters or clearers up or what have you, because that's the nature of the business. You know, you have a big catering event, I don't know if anybody remembers them. Do you remember people used to have parties with 100 people turning up? Went well, to one once. Of course, we don't have that at the moment. But in, in those distant days when it happened, it made sense. You don't have people on standby waiting for an event like that to happen. You just hire them on a per gig basis. So we're talking about a very large number of people who are employed in this way. And it works for both sides. It means extra income for people, say, who have a full-time job as a waiter, yeah. but fancy a bit of extra money in the evening. Or When we talk about this, we're just having in our heads the notion of a place you go in and sit down, waiter, food, chef, etc. I want to say good morning to Steve Mark too, who says, bars closed, restaurants open after six, while dance halls probably remain open, and absolutely fine, says Steve, to have a bakery packed out all day long in Soho. And he sent me a picture. See, the kind of go-in-and-take-out joints, there is a massive heaving queue of people jammed on top of each other waiting to go and get their cakes which on a normal day good on them and good for the bakery but peter and paul aren't meeting in the middle here i think that's what people might agree on well, you, you know what is aggravating about this is not that 
anybody doubts that that the people have to be vigilant in the face of the virus nobody doubts that no what is fascinating about this is it's how nonsensical it is why are you more likely to contract the virus in a restaurant before six o'clock or after six o'clock rather than you are by traveling on the mtr after six o'clock why are you more likely to contract the virus by eating a bowl of noodles than you are by queuing up, as you say, outside a bakery shop, going to another crowded place. It just doesn't make sense. So what you've got is the bureaucrats covering their backside and say, we'll close everything down because, you know, that's kind of covers our backside. The fact that it has dire consequences for people, well, that's their problem. I'll tell you what. Because incidentally, we, the bureaucrats, are getting fully paid throughout this this event. I think it's fair to say that this time there's a lot more stuff that's left people scratching their heads and consequently getting pretty peed off about it because they've had quite a year. Steve, sit tight. going to come back after the news. I've got a handful of messages I'd really like to read to you including one from Andy that's just come in. He says, beaches close again from today. But don't, don't, don't bite just yet, Steve. We'll come back to this one in just a little while. So I've got uh, more from Alvin, more from Bright. Hello, Nigel, how are you doing? Some very good stuff coming this way uh, from you as well. Well, it's nearly time for our news, so I'm going to play you some Blue Peter music while Sam reads the news after this. <laughs> Right, Steve, let's get down to it. We've got some serious messages here. I'm going to try and get through the main points of what you're saying. So basically, Alvin was at the top and he said, slight criticism, different topic, slight criticism of Ted, says Alvin. Uh, he has all the right reasons to make his exit, but none of us need to know about it. What about that? Well, it, we're in the vault, in the middle of a, PR, a political darling. storm. We are, indeed. You know, um, these these are personal matters and they're political matters. I can't quite see how um, someone going into political exile shouldn't publicise it. Don't don't quite get that. Yeah. Well. Anyway, it's people's point of view. The, the customer's always right. Anyway, um, let's see what else we got. Oh, oh no, they're not. <laughs> oh no, they're not. <laughs> so Nigel says I'm waiting to see how the vaccine will be used to suit the government. Then citizens, Singapore, Macau, Taiwan, all announce vaccination updates, but not Hong Kong. Uh, more from Alvin, and they reduce transportation schedules just to make sure they are more crowded. Horatio sent me quite a long one, which I'm going to have to um, sight read a bit because it's me eyes in it. I'll be back to that, Patrick. Tennis court's closed. Has anyone ever caught COVID in a tennis court? Um, basically... Well, just add to that. Has anyone ever caught COVID in a swimming pool? Has anyone ever caught COVID on a running track? Has anyone in Hong Kong caught COVID on a beach? You know, yeah. I, 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 he mentions tennis courts and he's quite right to do that. But the point is, yet again... We have regulations here that make no sense whatsoever. Well, that seems to be the overriding thing right now. And Nigel says the problem is dance clubs are not licensed. I like the way the things these things have evolved. Dance halls, dance clubs, raves, drugs. No, 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 no. Let's back up here. They're not licensed, so apparently they can't be closed down. I mean, I know it's a bit of an old tradition in Hong Kong, this kind of gig. But I don't know an awful lot I think about the these. Dance clubs proudly. That are under discussion here. <laughs> no, they're well not. involved. 
intimate bodily contact, but what do I know? Well, anyway, all right, Steve, let's take it from where we uh, where we left off. The reduced transport schedule, the beach is closing from today. I don't want this to turn into a rant, but it's just try, please, to join the dots here. I think pe- they're trying to mitigate problems. We know we can't fix this totally, but what do you think? Well, first of all, I think let's just take a step back. Hong Kong has had a fourth surge. This is undeniable. And for anybody who's been affected by COVID, anybody who who dies as a result of it, this is very serious. But the level of infections in Hong Kong, even now that it's started to edge into triple digits, the low 100s, is frankly very, very small Mm. compared with practically anywhere else in the world. So you have to have a response which is proportionate to the problem. I don't say from one moment that the government should be sitting on its hands and saying, oh, well, you know, insufficient numbers of people have died, therefore we have nothing to do. I'm not saying that. Mm. What I am saying is that you get credibility by responding in a rational and, here's the key word, effective manner. So, yes, you must have a good track and tracing system. Yes, you must have good border controls. How that's compatible with the government's current obsession with opening up the border to the mainland, um, you know, go and ask the deputy mayor. She seems to be in charge of that particular scheme. I've got my head around Horatio's message here, Steve. Um, And it's quite, quite, it's longish. That's why I wanted to read it first. And he's bringing up the concept that a lot of people are bringing up. For the first time this year, we're getting a lot of us and them. Have a listen to this. Concerning this wave started by the privileged, I posted this on another RTHK programme Facebook page. I'm still waiting for clarification. So, this is what he wrote. If the wife of an ex-top civil servant can go into hiding for 13 days and elude herself from the authorities, including the police, then can someone please explain to the public what is CAP 599 good for? She ended up in a quarantine centre for one day when it should have been 14. Then on Sunday, Dr Yun Kwok Young on radio specifically mentioned that many well-known individuals in the higher echelon of society have been uncooperative in releasing their contact details, making tracing virtually impossible. So what right has the government in asking us to use the Stay Home Safe app? Do these people not understand they have an obligation under the law? Nice one, H. Steve. Well, I, I certainly agree with him. I mean, you know, a law which is selectively applied is a law which is undermined. We didn't get this last time, did we, Steve? Us and them. I'll let you go for it. Absolutely. I mean, if you, if you have special arrangements for, for the rich and influential, if the rich and influential are allowed to do quarantine on their yachts, um, and remember, those yachts have to have staff, and in this instance, we understand that the, the staff also got infected. You know, the system ain't working. You know, rather than having a generalised attack on people going out to eat in the evening, why not get the system to work equally for everybody concerned? That strikes me as the way to go. Had a few things recently not happened, Steve, we wouldn't be talking about this this portion of society, would we? I mean, this is the kind of thing that in history revolutions were born out of. Sure as hell is. (laughs) In history. Well, history has a habit of going on and on, doesn't it? Yeah. (laughs) But this this them and us thing, Steve, what I I mean... It is this sort of of thing that really gets people's gall, and I can understand it. You look in Britain, what happened when the Prime Minister's advisor 
Dominic Cummings uh, oh. broke broke curfew regulations. Bye -bye. I say, well, it's only one person. Does it matter? Oh, actually, it does, because he was at the heart of government devising the very regulations for everybody else to observe, except for him. Yeah. So, yes, it does matter. This is taking over a bit. Hello to Michael, who says Professor Cowling, epidemiologist at Hong Kong University, has said on RTHK, didn't know of any cases found in outdoors. And uh, just let me add in something else from Andy D, who says, isn't the biggest elephant in the room officially ignored, unregulated, packed MTRs, buses and ferries, whereas 50% capacity for restaurants and bars of their complete closure, along with all other places mentioned in this programme, no regs in mass public transport, while commuters sit or stand shoulder to shoulder. Meanwhile, taxi drivers are being tested. Really? I mean, thank yeah, you for I mean, these comments, I, but you I, know I, where I, every single one of them is going. I'm very pleased that... that, that it's been mentioned that this um, bizarre idea about contracting the, the disease um, outside has proved to be complete nutter nonsense. I mean, don't listen to me, listen to Morris Cowling, who really knows what he's talking about. And as for the whole business of, can you have such a thing as a COVID safe environment in restaurants or indeed in bars? The answer is yes, you can. I mean, there are, you know, there are regulations in place, some of which are less crazy than others, but some are good. You have to test everybody before they come in. You need to know who they are in case there's an outbreak so they can be traced. You do need to have social distancing. All of these things can and have been done. This isn't a theory. They've been done in Hong Kong. Yeah. But that's sensible. Completely closing them down isn't. Yeah, um, people are very reticent now to use any kind of technology. They just don't want the details anywhere, anywhere, whether, whether it's... Well, I don't think the, the, the issue is technology. The issue is where will that data that, go? That's what I'm saying. They, they just don't want yeah. to know. For, for whatever reasons, even well, if they're I completely wrong, will... they don't want to know. Remember, we, we live in China. And we live in China where there is a long history of using personal data, not for the purposes specified. So if people are worried about that, they should be. It is a real live concern. And until people are confident that their data, personal data, will only be used for the purpose that it's supposed to be used, people will be reluctant to offer details. I think people will be very reluctant to sign up to this QR. That's exactly um, what I'm saying. Tracing system, yeah. Yeah. It, you know, I, I think actually people understand this pretty damn well. This isn't a case of ignorance. It is like one of those parables, isn't it? Even if this stuff really is here to help us, I don't know, the horse has bolted, that ship has sailed, whatever metaphor you want to use. There, there was another um, aspect of this mentioned in, in an earlier email, email, which we didn't get back to, but let's get back to it now, which is the question of vaccinations. Now... We know that vaccinations have gone beyond the trial stage in, firstly, in Britain, where they're actually vaccinating particularly elderly people. And there will be mass vaccinations rolled out pretty soon in the United States as well. Mm -hmm. In Hong Kong, unlike other Asian countries, as mentioned in the email, there is actually no specified program for rolling out uh, a vaccination, um, a mass vaccination uh, attempt. And now we come to the elephant in the room. Do Hong Kongers have sufficient confidence 
in the vaccine being developed in China, which is so far being used on a mass basis without the full testing regime, do they have sufficient confidence in that to want to take this vaccine? Will Hong Kong be able to get supplies of other vaccines from other places, by which I don't think I'm including the Russian Sputnik vaccine, which, you know, break a leg if you want to have a dose of that in your arm. Yeah. So, you know, the vaccine thing has now become politicised. Out of political correctness, the government obviously is looking towards using the Chinese vaccine. And here's the question. <laughs> Would you? And let's see what the answer is. Go on. Will those people in government and in the top echelons of society who are expressing great confidence in the Chinese vaccine be using it themselves. Remember, this is the same bunch of hypocrites who wave the five-star flag while making sure that all their families have the right of residence in overseas countries. We're, we are governed by hypocrites. We're governed by people who claim their immense loyalty to the regime but have an escape route let's see what happens with the vaccine will those rich and powerful people be bunging the chinese vaccine in their arms and and okay. being proud to do so because you know lead from the top lead from the front or all that let's yeah. see i want to chuck in a, an email that i missed before because i've only just opened my email but there's one from alan and he often writes so let's see what he says he says dear phil steve asks what is the difference between people being packed together in the mtr and in a bar he said i hate agree hate to agree with the hong kong government but there is a difference you can wear a mask 10 percent of the time in the mtr in a bar restaurant you must uncover your mouth and people are shouting at each other massive difference in transmission now he's not having a go at you so i don't want an explosion after Hello. this <laughs> he says any trade oh, built on people's socialising must suffer because that's how the disease spreads. There you go. He makes a reasonable point. Wow. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Yeah. I, I disagree with him. Yes, of course, there is a difference between people standing jam-packed on an MTR um, uh, carriage okay. and people in a bar who remove their masks to, to have a drink or eat an onion ring or whatever it is they want to do. Yeah. But the, the, the point is that one is mitigated by the other. So in a bar, you can have controls on proximity. You can insist on not filling the place up. You can have petitions between people. There are mitigating yes. ways yeah. of ensuring that the disease is not spread. In an MTR, you don't have that. There's True. no limit to how many people and, and, and where you stand or sit is random, isn't it? Or where you stand or where you queue up. Remember, also queuing up involves a lot of intimate contact. Yeah. So, yes, there's, there's, there's a difference. But all I'm saying is that once you've mixed it all into the bowl, it amounts to the same level of exposure. Do I think that people can con can't contract the virus in a bar? Of course I don't. There's risks for everything. Everything, There's that's the point. There's risks for crossing a road you may get. Life is risky. Indeed. Full stop. I think that's where so we're leaving. So all I'm saying is, <laughs> let's look at the risks. Let's look at the risks yeah. in context and see what is manageable and what isn't manageable. But no, no, Alan has a, has a valid point. It is, it is different. But what I'm saying is that there are different risks in different places 
but they both amount to the same thing, which you, is it's potentially risky. You got it. Well, thanks, Alan. Last word to Alvin. Regardless of countries of origins, making vaccination mandatory is the core concern. Over a weak virus, he says, in inverted commas, forget it. So it's, it's the, it's, again, it's the corralling, it's the, it's the control, it's the lack of trust. Whether founded or not, yeah. that's getting people going. And, of course, this time, approaching Christmas this year, quite a lot of confusion, Steve. There's a lot of confusion. Um, I, don't, um, I don't think you can avoid, though, the basic issue, which is that preventative measures are only as effective as they're credible. This is the crux of the matter. Yeah. There is a very low level of trust in the Hong Kong government, and therefore any measures it takes, particularly those which are so obviously politically tinted, yeah. will get a response. Tommy's just brought, that. Tommy's brought something up that was on my mind, um, and it's just logic again. He says, I see that the MTR and the bus companies are again reducing frequency now. They're saying less business, but Tommy's saying they're jamming us all into closer proximity. I thought I imagined hearing that, but plainly I didn't. Sorry, what was the last bit? I just re missed that. Re reducing frequencies on public transport because they're saying there's less business, but in doing yeah. so, you're jamming us all in together and blah, blah, blah. Ain't that a point? It is. We're going to leave Ain't it there. Ain't that a point? Steve Vines, as always, yeah. it's been a pressure. We'll do it next week. Take care. <laughs>